Please stand up on your feet to honor the word of God. And let's read this Bible first together with me. Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sins against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your presence and for your goodness in our life. And I pray, Lord, that you use this time, Lord, to do heart surgery. If there's anything, Lord, in our heart that needs to be changed, I pray that you change us, Lord. If there's anything in our life that needs to be rebuked, I pray that you rebuke us, Lord. And if the day, Lord, we want to see your glory shine. So speak to us, Lord. Use my limitation to describe your beauty. And we're ready to hear your word, and we're ready to be transformed by it. In the name of Mighty Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Let me start with a great quote from C.S. Lewis. Forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. Isn't that true? I mean, as Christians, we know we should forgive other people. But forgiveness is extremely hard. I mean, oftentimes, it feels impossible. It feels unnatural. Because what feels natural is for us to rehearse the wrongs that's been done to us and plotting vengeance. That's natural. I mean, we might not act it out, but we do, we do so in our imagination. Like, for example, when my ex-girlfriend um, cheated on me and broke up with me, I was in so much pain. I was angry, right? And one of my good friends told me, well, yours, 
you have to forgive her. And I knew he meant well, right? <laughs> I knew it. But I really wanted to punch him in the face. I mean, after everything she did to me, why should I forgive her? Because I felt like it's just giving her, you know, out of jail free card. And it was not fair. I mean, after all that I've suffered, forgiveness was unthinkable and illogical. Especially, especially when she was not sorry. Why should I forgive? And of course, I knew better than to hurt her in person. But I torture her countless times in my imagination. You guys know what I'm talking about? See, forgiveness is beautiful, but it is very difficult. Especially if you've been hurt by someone you deeply love, someone very close to you. Okay, maybe your close friend ended your friendship over a misunderstanding. Maybe your boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse cheated on you and left you. Or maybe you were sexually abused by someone you trust. Or maybe you're physically abused by your parents. Or maybe your dad or your mom walk away from the family. Maybe you were slandered by someone you really trust. Or maybe the doctor gave a wrong diagnosis and it damaged you for the rest of your life. Or maybe that business partner lied to you and stole money from you. And you might have every reason to be bitter. I mean, the offenses might happen many years ago, but you can remember it as if it happened yesterday. And then you're told, you have to forgive the person who hurt you. And you're like, wait, what? Are you kidding now? I mean, you want me to let that person off the hook just like that? I mean, don't you know what that person did to me? Well, I know the Bible teaches to forgive others, but that's because God doesn't know my story. Because if God knows my story, if He knows what happened to me, He surely put an asterisk next to the command to forgive and have my name at the back of the book as exception. See, forgiveness is a beautiful word. But forgiveness may be the hardest thing that many of us do in our lifetime because it feels very unnatural and unjust. It goes against all the impulses in our flesh. So today we continue our series, This Is Us, Growing Together as Righteous Sinners. See, every Christian, without exception, is a righteous sinner. It means that Christians have been made right by God but Christians also struggle with sin daily. So when a righteous sinner meet a righteous sinner, they inevitably hurt each other. They disappoint one another, and they need to learn to forgive each other. And in this parable, Jesus warned us that if we do not forgive those who have hurt us from our heart, we are in big trouble. Because our unforgiveness put us in prison. And the only way to get out of that prison is to release forgiveness. See, and what Jesus wants from us in this passage is not superficial forgiveness. Because I think in general, especially Asian, we are expert at minimizing the bitterness inside of us. Okay? We say we forgive with our mouth, but deep inside our heart, vengeance burns strongly. And we convince ourselves that our resentment do not affect people around us, that we're okay, but we're wrong. We can't see it, but other people around us can see it, that we are in the prison of bitterness. 
And unless we forgive the offender from our heart, here's what happened. We're stuck in that prison. So the question is, then how can we be set free from this prison of bitterness? And this parable will answer that question for us. Let me give you the context of the parable first. See, Jesus tells this parable to answer Peter's question. So Jesus has just, just told the disciple um, what to do when someone in church sin against them. Well, they should seek reconciliation. And res- in response to this teaching, then Peter asked this question in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, note carefully. The context in, on which the question is asked is not forgiveness to strangers. It is forgiveness to a brother. In other words, Peter is asking about people in the church. I mean, how many times should we forgive people in the church? How many times we should forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ? Okay, Let me tell you why this is crucial. Because it is far easier to forgive people with whom we are not close. But it is so much harder to forgive people with whom we are close, especially our family in Christ. Why? Well, it's because they should know better. And you expect better from them, right? So then the question is, then how many times should we forgive our brothers and sisters in the church? Okay, This is a genuine question. And Peter thought, well, surely, Jesus, I understand forgiveness is important. But surely there's a limit to forgiveness, okay? And what is the limit? That's the question. And Peter comes up with a number. Seven. Okay, that's a good number. And Peter is actually being very generous because in those days, there's a popular teaching that say that you should only forgive other person three times. Three so on the fourth offense, you are free to unleash hell on that person. Okay. So what Peter does, he actually more than doubled the quarter of his day. Seven times. Okay. Just imagine the same person in the church hurt you again and again. How many times would we forgive that person before we quit? I don't think any of us will reach seven, right? Maybe two, three. Max, and Peter will have thought the same. Surely, you know, I'm being very generous to Jesus. Surely seven times is more than enough, right? And Jesus replied, verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, in the original language, this is ambiguous. 77 times can be also be translated 70 times seven, which is equal to? 490. So what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying we should make a checklist of how many times people offended us and when he reached or he or she reached 78 or 491, then it is okay for us to unleash hell on them. Well, no, I don't think Jesus is teaching us math here. See, the point that Jesus is making here is, Pete, stop counting, mate. Stop counting. Because there's no limit to forgiveness because forgiveness is the way of Christian life. You will never outgrow forgiveness. Why? Because the reality, think about it, because all of us are righteous sinners 
it means that we will constantly sin against each other. I will sin against you and you will sin against me. Okay? So we will never outgrow the need to extend forgiveness and receive forgiveness. That's the bad news. The good news is we have been forgiven infinitely more than we will ever forgive. And to make this point, Jesus tells this parable. Okay? And the point of the parable is very simple. Okay? It's simple, but it is not easy at all. The point is this. There's no limit to forgiving our brothers and sisters in Christ since that is how we have been forgiven by God. As God forgive us again and again, so we also, we are to forgive others again and again. Simple point. Impossible to do. So what do we do about this? Okay, Let's look at this parable together. Why we must forgive? How do we forgive? And the power to forgive. Look at the first one. Why we must forgive. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle account with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knee imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, see, Jesus is a master storyteller and he often used parable in his teaching. But we must remember that a parable is used to emphasize a point that Jesus is trying to make. So we should not try to find meaning behind every single detail in the parable. Because the detail is given simply to emphasize the point that Jesus is making. Because what happens is if we try to find details behind every meaning, I mean, behind, find meaning behind every detail, the parable lost its meaning. It just breaks down. It's not going to work. So bear in mind that this parable is given in the light of Peter's question on forgiving our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the parables go like this. One day a king meet all his servants to get a financial report on his kingdom. And the king finds out that there's a missing fund. So he calls the servant who's in charge of that fund. And the amount of money that is missing is 10,000 talents. Now, this is a huge debt. Okay, let me show you what happened. One talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. One denarius is a day wages. So if we put in that today context, let's say that you earn like 50000 a year. Okay, it means that you earn $137 a day. And one talent is equivalent to 6,000 days of work, which equals to $822,000. And times that by 10,000, and this is what you get. 10,000 talents equals $8.2 billion. How am I doing? Well, I'm not an accountant, but I think I did okay, right? So the amount of money that is missing is huge. Now, we do not know the reason behind the, reason behind the debt. Did the servant steal the money, or did he misuse it, or is it a failed investment? We do not know. What we know is the debt is huge. And it, and it does not matter how rich the king is. This amount of debt put his kingship and kingdom 
into big trouble. So the king demands the servant to pay the debt. But he could not because it is impossible. The debt is unpayable, it's too much. So the king then ordered ordered to sell the servant, his family, and everything he has as a payment. And by the way, the debt is so much that selling him, his family, and all his possession are no way near sufficient to pay the debt. So the servant is simply being punished for his offense. Okay, this is not reimbursing the king okay, because the debt is impossible to be paid. But then the servant get on his knee and beg the king for mercy. He say, my king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And this is a desperate plea because he's asking the king to have patience and give him time to pay the debt. But there's no way he can do that. He's bankrupt and it is impossible to pay that debt. But he's ready to promise anything to get him out of the trouble, to save him and his family. Okay, and I love what happened next. Out of pity, the king forgive him and the debt is released. This is pure grace. Okay, so the king give him more than what he asked. Because the servant asked for time, but the king gave him freedom. No condition attached. No monthly payment to be made. The king frees him of enormous debt once and for all. See, what the servant won is a patient king, but what he got is a merciful king. Okay. And how would you feel if you have your debt of $8.2 billion Dollars removed, just like that. I mean, you will be on cloud nine, right? The heavy burdens on your shoulder will be gone. You'll be humming, you'll be singing, you'll be skipping, and you probably have party with your friends. You'll be extremely joyful. Which makes what happened next very disturbing. Verse 28 to 30. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owe him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. See, just right after he's forgiven of his 8.2 billion debt, he found another of the king's servants who owe him money. And this guy owed him 100 denarii which is 100-day wages. So let's do the math again. So 100 denarii will be equivalent to $13,700. Now, can we agree that this is not a small debt? It is significant debt. I mean, if any of you <laughs> owe me $13,700 and you do not pay me back, I'd be worried. So it's normal to be concerned about it. But the thing about this debt is it's repayable with time. It is not impossible to pay back. And this servant just had his 8.2 billion debt removed. But when he sees the fellow servant, you know what he did? He saves him and he chokes him. He gets very violent for 100 denarii. And what happened next? This fellow servant get on his knee and beg for mercy. And he says, have patience with me. And now we'll pay you. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. 
because it is the very same word that this servant used toward the king. Okay? The only difference is that this debt is payable with time. So, what would he do with this fellow servant who owe him? I mean, we would think that after he ate what he experienced, he would gladly forgive the debt, right? Because after all, I mean, as much as 100 denarii are, it's not comparable to 10,000 talents, not even close. So it's only logical for him to forgive the debt of his fellow servant. But instead of showing mercy, he does the opposite. He put the man in prison until he paid the debt. See, he not only refused to forgive the debt, but he also refused the plea to give more time to pay the debt. To which, at this point, the audience and all of us think like, hold on a second. This is irrational. This does not make any logical sense. I mean, what a hundred denarii to 10,000 talents anyway? It's nothing. The servant should show mercy, right? But listen, this is exactly how we look to God when we refuse to forgive others. Let's continue. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their masters all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you of all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So when the other servant sees what's happening, they're disturbed. They're very saddened by what they witness. So they tell the king about it. And when the king heard about it, he's mad. So he summoned the servant and said, You wicked servant, did I not forgive you of your debt? And how much is your debt? $8.2 billion. You asked me for time to pay me back. But there's no way you can pay me back. I know that. And because of that, I show mercy to you. You back me for time, I give you freedom. And should you not have the same mercy, that fellow servant who owe you what? $13,700? I mean, it's nothing compared to what you owe me. But what did you do? You refused to show mercy and you put him in jail. Are you kidding now? A forgiven man should act like a forgiven person. You should forgive him. And because you did not forgive him, I will put you in prison until you pay every single cent of that $8.2 billion debt that you have toward me. In other words, this man never get out of prison. He's stuck in prison to his debt because he refused to forgive. And now pay attention to verse 35. Because this is the key to the parable. I mean, Jesus doesn't usually tell us the meaning of the parable. But I think he, there's a reason why he tells us the meaning of the parable. I mean, the meaning of the parable is already clear to us, right? But Jesus wants us to be extremely clear so that we have no excuse of not understanding the point of the parable. In verse 35, he says this. 
So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ouch! And this is a strong warning from Jesus, my friend. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's not talking to strangers. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to us. See, Christians are those who already receive forgiveness from God. And those who have been forgiven by God should forgive others. And if we do not forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ from our heart, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us as well. To which we go, "Uh uh-oh, hold on, yes. Hold on a second. Yes, are you saying that we can lose our forgiveness? Hence, we can lose our salvation? I'm not saying that. See, the rest of the New Testament is clear that we cannot lose our salvation. But this is a wake-up call to many Christians. Because listen, there is unbreakable link between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. If we say that we have received forgiveness from God, but we are unable to forgive others from our heart, something is wrong. If we say with our mouth that we forgive them, but we hold a grudge toward them in our heart, something is off. Let me put it another way. Our difficulty in forgiving others is a reflection of our difficulty in receiving God's forgiveness. If we are not able to forgive others, it shows that we have not been forgiven by God. Do you get that? So it means there's no such thing as unforgiving Christian. Because if we have God's forgiveness in us, then forgiveness will flow out of us. Forgiving others is one of the surest way we know that we have been forgiven by God. See, this is why forgiveness is absolutely crucial in the life of Christian. Which led me to my next point. Well, okay then, but how do I forgive? How do we forgive? Okay, I think the answer comes from looking at what the king does. How do we forgive? Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the masters of that servant release him and forgive him the debt. There are three steps to forgiveness. Okay? And I'm hugely indebted to Tim Keller for this. First one, take pity. Now the word pity means to show compassion towards someone else's misery. So it means to find commonalities instead of differences with the person who hurt you. It does not mean that we downplay the significance of the pain we experience. It's the other way around. We don't downplay it, but we acknowledge that the damage has been done in the relationship. So we don't turn blind eyes to it. Because what happens if we try to downplay the pain is we are able to forgive with our mouth, but not with our heart. And this kind of forgiveness is superficial. It's useless according to Jesus. But to show pity is actually to acknowledge the pain, but to choose to see the best in others instead of the worst. See, whenever someone wrongs us, see, our natural response is always to create a caricature of them 
in our mind. Okay, let me explain to you what I mean. If you ever have a cartoonist a draw a picture of you, you know, right? They are expert at making people look funny and ridiculous. So what they do is they make, looks, they make someone look funny by taking one part of the face and make it really big, make it huge. See, they exaggerate certain features of you. So for example, if you have a big eye, they will make your eyes extremely big. So if you have a large nose, you will have extra large nose, right? And you look ridiculous, and it's funny. See, whenever someone wrong us, this is exactly what we do in our heart. We take the wrong they did to us, and we make it big. We exaggerate it. And we make other things about them very small to emphasize the wrong. We see them as caricatures. Now, here's what we do. Okay. Let's say that we're driving, okay, and someone recklessly cut into our lane. What do we say? Well, if you're spiritual like Edric, you will say, God bless you, right? But if you're less spiritual like me, you will say, such an idiot. What a dumb driver, right? See, what we do is we make the offense big and see that person only as an idiot. See, we ignore all other things about that person. In our eye, he or she is just a dumb driver. That's it. But let's say we are the one who cut into other people's lanes recklessly. What happened? Well, it's a different story. Because we say, hold on a second, I might cut into your lane, but I'm not an idiot. I'm not a dumb driver. There are valid and explainable reasons why I suddenly cut into your lane. He, you see what happened? My wife on the back seat is in labor pain, and she's been yelling and screaming and pulling my hair. And therefore, I cut into your lane because I tried to get to the hospital as soon as possible. It's not as straightforward as it seems. Now, can you see what happened? We think of ourselves in the best light possible. We think of ourselves as a whole person with real issues and challenging circumstances, but not other people. We see them in the worst light possible and we hammer them. We simply see them as idiots, you dumb drivers. We want other people to see us in the best light possible, but we see others in their worst. But to show compassion is to deliberately say, hold on a second, I'm actually not much different from that person. It is very possible that I could have done the exact same thing in their situation. I'm no better than them. And this is very crucial. Do you know what happened when you do that? We can only stay angry at someone if we continue to think and feel that we are better than that person. But the moment we level the playing ground, we lost many reasons to stay angry at them. That's the first one. But the second step is this. Forgive the debt. Now, here's something that we must understand about forgiveness. There is no such thing as free forgiveness. See, the damage is done. Someone must pay. And in this parable, the king's servant owed $8.2 billion. And when the king forgave the debt, 
It's not free. Someone has to pay for it. Who pay for it? Well, the king. See, the king absorbed the debt himself. See, whenever someone wrongs us, it creates an emotional debt of pain. We feel it. We know it. And someone must pay. And we have two options. First, we make the other person pay the debt. See, and we are experts at this, right? How do we make them pay? Well, we make them pay by insulting them. We are harsh toward them. Or we, we hold our friendship with them. Or we intentionally do things that we know will hurt him or her. Or because we're Christian, we don't do that, right? We don't do direct hurting people. We do it indirectly. How do we do that? We bring up their name and their story as a prayer request to our MC. Oh, we tell other people, you know what? I really don't want to talk about this, but I don't want you to get hurt. So let me warn you about this person, okay? So you tell many people about what this person did to you, putting yourself as the victim. And what do we do? We ruin their reputation behind their back. Or another thing that we often do as Christians is like, we tell the other person who heard us, listen, I'm a good Christian. So I'm not going to take revenge on you because I'm better than you. I don't want to go down to your level. I'm better than that. <laughs> do you see what happened? See, you and I, we're creative. We can find hundreds of different ways to hurt this person directly or indirectly. The point is, when we do that, when we inflict pain on those who hurt us, it makes us feel better. In fact, we don't even have to be the one who does it. If we, someone else has hurt them, we feel good already. We say, they got what they deserve. Right? But here's the irony. By feeling better, we actually become worse. See, what happened is that the more we indulge in seeing their pain, the more we are imprisoned in bitterness. Now, I have seen this play out again and again and again in different scenarios. Let me give you just one example. Let's say there's a father who refused to discipline his children. Okay? So it does not matter how his children behave. He refused to go hard on them. I mean, his children can be nightmares. They're literally creating chaos everywhere and their dad does nothing. All he ever said was, kids, stop it. Don't do it again next time, okay? Be good. And to our curiosity, we ask him, listen, why do you never discipline your children? Aren't you worried about their future? And he looked at us and said, I will never discipline my children. I will never make the same mistake my dad did to, towards me. My dad always disciplined me. My dad hit me hard every time I make a mistake and he never let me do anything. I will not do that to my kids. I will not let my kids experience what I experience. Now, do you see what happened? In his mind, he's beating his dad. His dad did not let him do anything he wanted, so now he let his children do whatever they want. He thinks that he's free, but he's not. The reality is, he is in the prison of bitterness. He's not thinking clearly, because he does not ask the question, 
what's good for my children? How can I raise them best? All he cares about is not repeating the mistake that his dad did. It is his payback to his dad. And in doing so, he hurts his children. See, we might guess this. We must understand this principle. The more we make the other person pay the debt, the more imprisoned we are in bitterness. The short-term satisfaction of seeing them in pain is making us worse. That's the reality. Every time we make that person pay, we fall deeper and deeper into bitterness. So what's the other option? Well, someone must pay the debt, right? And we might not like this option. But it is the only option that can free us from our prison. The second option is to absorb the debt ourselves. And let me tell you, it is painful. It hurts so much. Now, many years ago, I did something terrible. Okay, at the time, we were still in renting hall in the city for our church service. Okay, and we have to pack all our equipment every Sunday. And during one pickup, I accidentally hit Kimi's guitar and it fell. Okay. And at the time, it was quite a new guitar. I felt horrible, and I quickly apologized to her. And she said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I mean, she was very merciful toward me. But then later she told me it was because she had no choice, right? I was her pastor, and she felt bad for making her pastor pay for it. The perk of being a pastor. I received free forgiveness. But it's not free. Kimi pay for it because she absorbed the debt and made the payment herself. And I'm sure, I'm 100% sure it's not one time, one-time payment. I am sure that the sin of me causing her guitar to fail continued to haunt her for a while. But every time, every time she wanted a payback, she made a down payment herself. It hurt. Every time she wanted to slander me, she held her tongue. It hurt. Every time she wanted to cut me to pieces on her mind, she reminded herself of the good things that I have done to her. It hurt. Every time she wanted to be cold toward me, she tried to love me instead. It hurt. Why did it hurt? Let me tell you why. Because she was making payment. And eventually, she no longer needed to make payment. She's free. She's out of the prison. Do you see what happened? So listen, it might take weeks, months, or years, depending on the size of the wrong. But as we continue to extend forgiveness, as we continue to make payments after payments after payments, what happens is we are actually the one who's being set free. Forgiveness hurts so bad. It is a form of suffering, but it frees us from the prison of bitterness. See, when we make the other person pay the debt, we are trapped in a prison. But when we absorb the debt, we are free. And the third one, the third step to forgiveness is this. Release the debtor. Now, 
this is probably the most controversial step because it feels like injustice to let that person go. It feels wrong, right? I mean, it's what often people say. Well, I need to pursue justice so that they learn their lesson, then they will not make the same mistake to other people. I don't want them to hurt other people the way they hurt me. Okay, so I need to pursue justice. And there's some truth to it. Okay, I'm not saying it's wrong. There are times that we should pursue justice. Okay, and we're going to talk about this in a few few times, that we must confront people's sin every now and then. The Bible is clear on that. But here's what we must understand. Listen. Unless we do the first and second step well, unless we take time to show compassion on the person who hurt us and absorb the emotional depth ourselves, until we are able to release the debtor, there will be no justice. It will be vengeance. Because if we do not release them, what we want is not what's good for them. Or no, what we want is payback. Now, can you see what happened? See, when we pursue justice without letting the debtor go first, we are actually doing it for our own sake, not for their sake, not for other people's sake, it's for ours. I mean, of course, we know how to sugarcoat it. We're creation. We know how to sugarcoat this. And we can sugarcoat however we want, but deep inside of our heart, we know that we are not doing it for their sake or other people's sake. The reason we want just a lot of time is because we want payback. We want them to pay the debt because it makes us feel good. And let me tell you, the person who wronged us usually are able to tell the difference whether you're pursuing justice for your sake or for their sake. So this is the irony. Until we have taken the time to understand the person who hurt us, until we have absorbed the debt ourselves, until we can let that person go, there will be no justice. It is simply payback. It is only when we have truly forgiven the person that we can pursue justice when necessary. Until then, no justice. It's just payback. So these are the three steps of forgiveness. Pity, forgive, release. I mean, do you see how easy it is? I'm sure all of you are very eager to apply it. Go home and do it. Okay. Well, of course not. This is not easy at all. It's simple, but the question that we ask when we listen to this is like, hold on a second, how on earth are we supposed to do this? It is impossible. And I agree with you. Yes, it is impossible. But not when we have experienced the mercy of the true king. Which move on, let's move on to my last point. Third point. The power to forgive. See, get this right. Only the gospel can enable us to forgive from our heart. There's no other solution. See, because all other solution is just superficial. It does not deal with our heart. Only the gospel is the answer. And we say that every single week, right? The gospel is the only solution, the only cure. But the question that we must to ask is, what is it about the gospel 
that actually enable us to forgive from our heart. Okay? There are two things that we must consider. First, consider the depth we owe God. See, when Jesus tells this parable, he does not want us to primarily identify ourselves with the king, or no. Because the king in this parable represents God. So who are we in the parable? We are the servant who owes 10,000 talents. See, we are the offender who desperately need mercy. And this is the truth about all of us. We owe God 10,000 talents because of our sin. We have unpayable debt. And there's absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing we can do to pay the debt. I mean, we can work as hard as we can for the rest of our life, and it still amounts to nothing. In fact, God can give us eternity to pay the debt, and we barely scratch the surface of our debt. Because no amount of work and time can free us from our debt. Our debt is incalculable. We are doomed. That is the debt that we have towards God. Consider that debt. Feel the severity and the helplessness of our situation. But then, second, consider what it costs God to forgive us. Now remember, there's no such thing as free forgiveness. Someone must pay the debt. Well, who has to pay the debt? Well, we cannot possibly do it. We're bankrupt. So what did God do? God took pity on us. God showed compassion on us and he stooped to our level. See, Jesus, you know what Jesus does? Jesus left the throne of heaven and became us. And then Jesus absorbed the debt upon himself. And Jesus knew exactly what it will cost him to pay our debt. He knew that the only way to pay the debt of our sin is for him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. He knew that it will, what it will cost him he knew it from the very beginning, but he did it anyway. See, that's why at the cross, he cried out so that you and I can hear loud and clear, Tetelastai, it is finished. It's done. It's paid for. Jesus declared at the cross that the debt that we have towards God has been paid in full. And the payment of that debt is his blood and his life. So now everyone who put their faith in Jesus received the mercy of God. Not because God was so on sin, but because, listen, the debt has been paid. Justice is served. Jesus absorbed all the debt and paid to the last sin. Now do you see the contrast? All of us are servants who act like a king who condemns our fellow servants. But Jesus is a king who became a servant to pay the debt and to save his fellow servants. So how can we have the power to forgive from our heart? Here's how. The power to forgive comes from seeing the debt we owe God and delighting in the forgiveness Jesus paid for us. To the degree that we can see our debt in his forgiveness, to that degree, we can forgive others from our heart. See, we will never be able to forgive others toward uh, uh, the debt towards us unless we see how Jesus pay our infinite debt towards God. 
and the depth others owe us is simply a fraction, a tiny fraction of what we owe God. And if Jesus paid infinite debt we owe towards God, now you and I, we can pay the smaller debt others owe us. See what happened? The gospel is the only solution. The only way we can stop choking one another is if we are melted by the beauty of the king who became a servant to pay our debt. The gospel is the only cure. And my friend, do not take this lightly. Because in this parable, there's a strong warning for all of us. Because according to Jesus, a failure to extend forgiveness to other people is a sign of failure in receiving forgiveness from God. When we fail to forgive others, it is because we have made their wrong toward us look very big and we have made our wrong toward God look very small. And this has eternal consequence. If we refuse to forgive others, we do not have God's forgiveness. We are in the prison of bitterness. And we are only free when we extend that forgiveness to people who hurt us. So here's my question, and I'm done. Who is it that we need to forgive today? My prayer is stop putting yourself in the prisons of bitterness and break free by the power of the gospel. Let the gospel melt your heart. Let the beauty of the king who became a servant to pay your debt melt your heart. And may the gospel enable you to extend the forgiveness that you have received from God to those who hurt you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to continue to gaze on the beauty of the gospel. Help us continue to gaze on the sacrifice and the price that your son Jesus paid for our debt towards you. And may we continue to be captivated by it. And because of that, I pray, Lord, that we be able to forgive those who hurt us. And I pray, Lord, every time that we start to entertain the thought of making them pay the debt, I pray that we make the decision to pay the debt ourselves. It's painful. It hurts. And yet we can do it because we have received the ultimate forgiveness from you. And we have the grace that enables us to do that. So help us, Holy Spirit, to continue to make down payment every time that thought come to haunt us. Every time that scenario come back to our mind, help us to continue to kill that by the power of the gospel. Melt our heart with your beauty and empower us to forgive other people. And whatever step that we need to take after this in order to forgive others, help us to take the right step. Give us the courage and boldness to do that. And we ask this in the beloved name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Love you, church.